Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And this is We Podicano, an Our Band Could Be Your Life miniseries. We're taking a journey through Michael Azarad's chronicle of the 1980s American underground rock scene, continuing today with Chapter 11, Fugazi. Not bankrupt. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> Is it chapter 11? Okay, sorry. Go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, move. thank you. That's Oh, I get that joke. Okay. I see you. what you're trying to do there. Okay. All right, thanks. We return to DC to find Ian Mackay in search of something new from the hardcore scene after the breakup of Minor Threat. Enter Rights of Spring frontman Guy Picciotto, who, along with bassist Joe Lally and drummer Brendan Canty, began jamming in 1986. This project soon became Fugazi, a post-hardcore powerhouse fusing a myriad of styles and intense live shows into a new kind of punk. And through relentless touring, captivating performances, and their relentlessly egalitarian anti-corporate ethics, Fugazi would become one of the indie world's most respected and successful acts into the 90s and beyond. And today, we'll be sitting in the waiting room along with Fugazi through Chapter 11 of Our Band Could Be Your Life. But first... Let's introduce our guests returning to the show. It's the boys from what was then the Blink-155 podcast and what is now simply 155. It's Josiah Hughes and Sam Sutherland. Welcome back, boys. Hello. What's up? Thanks for having us. Did you just say all that stuff off the dome? I mean, that was impressive. <laughs> no, I write it down. Better He's been that. rehearsing for hours. <laughs> I hear him I, in the I bathroom. How to, how to pronounce the names of everyone in Fugazi for the first time in that introduction. So that <laughs> Well, it's funny you You're bring this me. up because this is our redemption tour on pronouncing yeah. Ian McKay's name what name right, which we uh, erroneously did as McKay through the entire uh, Minor Threat episode. Mm-hmm. But I will defend in uh, the classic throwback to the... Uh, 1980s, where you might only know of a guy's name from reading about it. I have obviously heard of Ian McKay for like my entire life knowing about rock music, but I have basically only ever read his name. I don't know how I didn't know until people came out of the woodwork to correct us that it is indeed Ian McKay. You've only read his name as like a little title on a documentary because he's in every fucking documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no one ever started it being like, so, Mr. Mackay, please share your thoughts on this scene. Yeah. But also like, Guy Picciotto is very like. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem is that that's one of those names that I have deliberately mispronounced so much that I, 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 genu- I genuinely don't know how to pronounce his name. And I'm pretty sure in a casual situation, I would still call him Guy because I at some point decided it was funnier. But I think that is how you say it, right? It yeah, is guy. Gee. It it's is gee. It is. You gee. were right. Oh yeah. shit! See, I he's a know. guy, but he's, he's also a guy named Gee. Gee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there we go. I should have paid more attention. Uh, Molly was joking before we started that a good roller derby name or just just display name, if you're looking for something on Twitter, would be uh, Gal Bicciotto. Oh, <laughs> that's very roller derby. Pretty nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Bro- I should be selling this shit. No more free ideas. I give too many people free ideas. I'm over it. $5 per idea. Selling, NFT. Selling roller that, derby That display names. name is an NFT now. There's, there's, there's got to be like an active roller derby subreddit that you could go on and, and, that's and true. maybe help some people. I mean, maybe it's not as active in 2021, but you know. Yeah. There's oh, no man. way somebody has like all the kit for being a roller derby person and just has, like they think of the name first is what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come up with the like, name. I'm going to be named Cherry Awesome or something. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why you never got into roller derby, man. <laughs> yeah, it's 
true. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, all right. So we um we usually start the show by going around and saying, you know, what is what are your priors with the band? What brought you to Fugazi? And uh, when we pitched you guys the coming on the show, coming back on the show for this series, uh, pretty much right away, I believe Josiah was like Fugazi. You guys got Fugazi open. So uh, uh, why why the Gazi? What 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 made them so <laughs> attractive to you guys? <laughs> Oh, well, it's an opportunity to learn about pronunciation. More than <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, oh, this is like a, like a night class that I can go to to finally become punk. Well, we like, uh, I mean, obviously we talked about every single Blink-182 song for like three hours per song. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we commit to the worst bits. And I think early on on the show, <laughs> one of us accidentally pronounced Fugazi wrong. And then it became, we tried to pronounce it differently. Every no, that was time. deliberate. It was Fugazi, which I think <laughs> is an Adam, it's an Adam and his package joke. So. Adam and his package uh, used to cover waiting room and on the live Adam and his package recording, he, he insists on calling them Fugazi. And I right. kept saying it. And I was, I was accused by people of not knowing how to pronounce Fugazi because Fugazi like really defines like a gatekeeper band. This is something that we mm. talk about a lot on our mm. podcast and you know, our bank of your life is kind of uh, as, as much as it is like one of my favorite books of all time. It's like riddled with what Josiah always calls kind of homework bands <laughs> and this certain type of like punk person that in, invariably is like a Gen X guy with like no hair or receding hairline, like at, at, at best who will judge you based on like how, if you know how to pronounce it, Mackay or McKay, or yeah. if you yeah, think like, that it's guy, for example. I actually think, I kind of think Fugazi is like the perfect mirror image of Blink-182. It's like the same conversation mm. about taste and about what does it mean to be punk and all this stuff. But if Blink-182 is like, to some people embarrassingly corny or silly then then Fugazi is like embarrassingly overly authentic and earnest so it's kind of like the same cover I just kind of love that that uh sort of tension um and I did have like I've had many different Fugazi phases in my life but I also just think that they really are like so Gen X and like (laughs) really like I think Fugazi is like probably the least cool they've ever been, maybe in, in the monoculture <laughs> right now. That's not Fugazi's fault. You know, no. that's, I mean, it kind of is. That's the culture's <laughs> problem. I, I definitely at times have said that Fugazi was my favorite band. And I, I don't think that I would mean it if I said it anymore, but like in a high, high stakes situation, it's still the answer that, that might come out of my mouth. Because to me, they've been this like shining example of like, the way your taste can evolve and the way that like one of the great things about like being very in to music, but specifically like very into like punk and, and, and hardcore is, is the way that things can kind of unlock for you. Like the way that, that it's like you get to level up as you learn about new things. And, you know, again, as we spent years of our lives talking about Blink-182, you have this process that you go through where there are bands that are in the thank yous and then you listen to those bands, you listen to those bands and, and it is this sort of like journey you get to go on. And so I have this very distinct memory of having like a cool family friend who was older and was like in bands who, when I was in the seventh grade, was like, okay, all the bands that you like, they're all influenced by Fugazi. Here's a CD of In on the Kill Taker. And he was probably in high school at that point and this probably cost him 30 bucks. And this was a substantial <laughs> investment in like me and my taste. And I was uh, like, Discord records, all CDs, only ten dollars. Right, but here's the thing: imports in Canada. Yeah, they're fucking expensive. Yeah, that oh, was wow. not a knock on Discord. You know, who run an incredible business? That was a knock on Canada and HMV. 
<laughs> wow, they do not care about you guys. No, every good your CD was thirty your bucks. Stride, in your strident punk values can't uh, <laughs> overcome the the North American uh, borders. Trade that's borders. that's the problem. I was like, I like Fugazi, I like Fugazi, and I like propaganda, but I'm also very for free trade. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I think I think I'm really into NAFTA. <laughs> so well, po- politics were very confused as a young person, but I remember getting the CD and fucking hating it. Like, mm. I was like, why did this idiot think I would like this stupid, impossible music? Because it's not even like cool screaming the way like the Foo Fighters like would kind of scream. <laughs> it was just like, I don't understand what this man is doing with his voice. And there's this other man and like he's worse. <laughs> and like, <laughs> there's no hooks. You know, it was like so alien to me. And then there was just like a day where it unlocked. And I was like, this is the best music I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. And so like it on the Kill Taker just became... You know, probably still like that definitively still is like one of my favorite records of all time. That I had the exact same situation. I like so there was this band that was one of the first bands I ever saw called the WPP. They're like kind of like legends in Vancouver area that no one's ever really heard of them outside, but they were kind of like the local band that we all went to see all the time. And I knew that they were influenced by Fugazi, so I like I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna get Fugazi and my C D that I paid like twenty seven or thirty dollars for was Red Medicine, and I had the exact same thing. Like, by the time Birthday Pony came on, I was like, "This is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life," and I've just wasted so much money that I could have spent. And it's your money in that yeah, instance too, exactly. Um, and I always thought Guy, his voice kind of sounded like David Usher from Moist, which I don't know if you guys know who that is, but that's like uh, for the oh, for the Canadians listening. Sorry, this is about Moist now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, tell me more. I mean, he sounded uh, to me his voice sounded like this man from a overly erotic and terrible Canadian radio rock band called that are called Moist. <laughs> And the band oh is called God. Moist, and our government made sure that they were famous. Yeah, they were well, well financed. <laughs> um, There's a most Canadian like radio rock from the '90s inexplicably kind of sounds like the doors. We just had a lot of bands that were trying to be the doors, and yeah, singers who were sort of trying to do this like pained Jim Morrison thing. But and but like the quite good actually has more of a bleeding like like not bleeding but bleating like a sheep kind of like a yelp yeah and that's what Guy reminded me of right away so I mean I fucking hated it but it was so expensive that I forced myself to like it and I really actually appreciate that experience because since then I've literally done that with bands like Imagine Dragons I've sat down and said I'm gonna learn to like Imagine Dragons this weekend and I did and it worked Mm -hmm. so you've trained yourself I've trained myself to just like sort of just force myself through things that I don't like at first and figure them out. So, I mean, that's a cool thing about Fugazi to me is that I hated it so much. And now, obviously, if I heard something that I didn't like in the first 10 seconds, I would just turn it off and go watch a TV show or play a video (laughs) game or do like a million other things. But (laughs) when it was a $27 CD, it was, there's no choice. Wow. Well, Mm. now I can say I get it. I mean, that certainly a lot of background on Fugazi for both of you guys. Uh, but like I, I, the thing that I do latch onto, and the thing that I kind of immediately intuited when you suggested it, uh, given the the nature of your Blink One Eighty Two program, is that it is a they are kind of like weird inverse of that kind of vibe, uh, to to its like exact mirror author, uh, mirror mirror counterpart in in terms of authenticity, in terms of uh, like you know punk, but the kind of punk musical style. So, uh, 
Uh, I like all that. Uh, if only they had a number, they could literally be their opposite number. You know, if they were like Fugazi <laughs> 14 or whatever. Hey, 13, 13 songs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, this is good. This is really good. There we go. <laughs> what, about, what about you two, though? Did you have like a, you know, sad I mean, $30 introduction to a band that you forced yourself to like? I did not have a sad $30 introduction to Fugazi, but I was aware of them. I think in the, in the similar realm of like minor threat as uh, like more of an, like an ideology rather than a band. Like I feel like at the end of the, our, our band could be your life chapter as is talking about how every rock person references Fugazi as someone they, as a band they respect uh, for their integrity while having no integrity of their own and yeah. while doing things that Fugazi would never do. And I think that was maybe my impression of them, but I didn't really, I didn't listen to them um, until I had access to this, a steady flow of, of streaming tunes. A steady uh, diet of nothing, if you will. A steady diet of nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, di- I didn't have the, but I understand the, like, I spent so much money on this. I must, I need to like it. Otherwise, I'm just going to hate myself. But I, I didn't have quite that experience with Fugazi. <laughs> but I, I, again, like, probably didn't engage with them fully until this book. I do feel like there is something, like, the the honor, we'll, we'll talk more about this, but, like, the honorable uh, integrity filled punk guy is someone that I was maybe naturally repelled from, especially in my <laughs> youth of just being like, this is not the kind of person that I want to like talk to or engage with. Oh no, they get, they get, they get even, wor- they get even worse as you get older. Those <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Seeing that a little bit, but yeah, that, that's my, that's my personal experience with, with Fugaz, which who I'm choosing to pronounce oh, the way cool. uh, Tony Soprano would as, as like an Italian meat <laughs> or, or pasta dish. Fugaz. Yeah, yeah, this is good and new. I like this. This is exciting. <laughs> we're in, yeah, we're innovating over here. We're also we're making the Italian uh, hand gesture yes. as well Every for time those we listening. It. Every yeah, just imagine that when you're listening okay, to this yeah. podcast. Uh, I think for me, I prob the first Fugazi I probably heard was the argument, which would have been just like when I was getting into like more underground music, like the album that was out around that time, and I don't think it made much of an impression on me. And then of course as with all of you, as I like learned more and more that like, oh, this is an important band mm-hmm. full of important ideas, uh, kind of went back through. And I, I remember picking up uh, the repeater and it really clicking when I heard repeater and, and you know, that combination of, of cool licks and like that kind of driving 80s style punk and hardcore sound inside of it. And then eventually, uh, you know, it really took until, you know, the first time I heard Waiting Room, which was probably in college, where I was like, oh, shit, this fucking rips. This is like one of the best songs ever written. <laughs> one of the best punk songs ever written. That uh, ever written. And then I think something that Molly and I will probably be referencing throughout this is that we recently watched the Fugazi documentary Instrument. Oh, so good. That's <laughs> great. That really but, clicked it for me, too, I think. It, it, that does. That clicks it up to another level because it's not. You know, you were joking that Mackay shows up in like every punk documentary ever, ever. just like you go to the Discord house and knock on it with cameras and he's like, yeah, I'll give you 10 minutes. I think he Uh, stopped doing documentaries when we invited him onto the feeling this episode of Blink-182 to talk about Fugazi's influence on Blink-182. That was when I got an email from Discord saying, oh yeah, he's taking a break from interviews actually. I was like, whoa, no way. Wow. That's Uh, impressive. You you broke him. Yeah. but yeah, that that documentary is really interesting because uh, you know it's not a, a it's not a typical music documentary. No, it, it's basically just pure vibes. 
It's it just is. like vibing yeah. out with uh, Fugazi and uh, like clips of their shows that are barely even video clips. Like it's a lot of them are just like smeared still photos. Oh, it's so uh, cool. and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. it also really gives you a sense of the ambientness of their live music. And what it really clicked for me and Molly is like, oh, they're kind of at least live. They're like kind of a jam band. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're jamming. And it, it, I think it just keyed me in onto a deeper level of the vibes of Fugazi. Uh, and yeah, I mean, which brings us to today where we can uh, we can finally I've, we can I've, opened, <laughs> I've opened enough uh, Fugazi chakras to feel like I can podcast about them. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to this incredibly cool sort of screening at um, at this theater in Toronto where Jem Cohen, who, who made yeah, instrument, yeah. Mm-hmm. did did this like kind of abstract art film. I feel like he was doing like live projections and stuff. Like, I think it was just sort of like, it's very art, which is extremely not my thing. Like I've like rewatched a couple of purge movies this week. Like I'm that guy. <laughs> and, and then as a live band, he had, uh, Ephraim from, from Godspeed and silver Mount Zion, Gee, uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara. Like it was mm-hmm. this like true murderers row of like c- cool Gen X icons <laughs> sure. doing improvised soundtrack to it. And it was like one of those things where like, I I have seen an event like that five times in my life where I'm like, I'm appreciating art. And it was (laughs) so sick because it really did it. You know, so often I'm like, Oh, I I just recognize like, I'm not this person. I shouldn't even try to engage with it because I'll just feel stupid. And this was like an instance of like, all those people are legitimately so incredibly talented. You come into it with this like ingrained bias, but you're still like it was, it was like a truly spectacular experience. Like Jem is like an incredible, incredible filmmaker. Jem Cohen is such a good filmmaker. Um, he also like he's done stuff with Silverman's Zion. He's done, I think, album art for them too with his photography, and he's done stuff for Vic Chestnut. Because I actually saw Guy Picciotto play in Vic Chestnut's band in Calgary, like the last time Vic Chestnut toured. Um, but also, Jem Cohen did this film called Chain that I saw at a film festival one time. That's like kind of, I would say probably 10 or 15 years ago, but it's kind of like what Nomadland feels like it's a ripoff of. It's like about mm. like just kind of like big box stores, Amer- Americana, like via the strip mall kind of thing. It, it's so good. And so like that, I think, I think Jem Cohen is like the other reason why instrument is so sick. It's not because mm-hmm. yeah, if it was just the ice cream eating motherfucker scene, that would be cool. <laughs> but you know, that's yeah. not going to last forever. You know, I saw you two guys earlier at the good humor truck. And you were eating your ice cream like little boys. And I thought, those guys aren't so tough. They're eating ice cream. What a bunch of swell guys. I saw you eating ice cream, pal. Oh, don't you deny it. You were eating an ice cream cone. You were eating an ice cream cone. Oh, you're bad now. You're bad now, but you're eating an ice cream cone. And I saw you. That's the shit you can't hide, you know. You got your fucking shit, but you eat ice cream. Everybody knows it. The whole fucking place knows it. Ice cream eating motherfucker. That's what you are. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately. There's, there's definitely some big box store America vibes in in instrument. Yeah, well, as once well. they hit the road, he's definitely doing the like, whoa, what if like these billboards are really like yeah. really representing something about about America. I, I honestly should have I wish I had watched the instrument before we did good vibes at the Iowa State Fair, but that's too deep into this. Uh, hey, you cannot like Taylor Swift. You can always recut things for a new, a new time, for a new generation. I'm going to go back and, and reshoot that whole thing as like an intentional, like staged. 
Anyway, but that's that's a project for another day. Yeah, uh, the world loves re-edits. Like, how many versions of Justice League exist, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need You're, the Jim Cohen cut of Justice League. I, <laughs> I would legitimately watch that. I mean, I'm sure it was. I think, well, actually, I read eight the, Eight hours of, like, a single shot of Batman just, like, smudged across the sky at, like, 0. 0.3 frames per second. Give yeah. me that. Yes. <laughs> Give me that shit. <laughs> Oh, All man. right, shall we g- jump into the story? Let's let's jump in. All right, F- Fugaz, uh, in Mackay, guess who's back, back again. <laughs> uh, we, we obviously already talked about Minor Threat. After Minor Threat, Ian is still in D.C. He's uh, trying to focus, quote, focus on the idea of what we were doing as being real, of being a working model of a real community. Um, so he was while while you know the scene was riddled with skinheads and posers and people trying to take each other down. He was a full on. <laughs> Azarad said maybe it's because he watched the the Woodstock documentary too many times. He was like full on into believing that like punk was a lifestyle that you could turn into something rewarding. And he was still working at obviously running shit at Discord. He was hosting people at, at Discord House. He was uh, literally hauling amps for almost every band on the label. Like he was really doing, he was doing the work. Uh, and the scene, they, they they decided to simply cede the scene to the skinheads uh, and started something new. Which I, I I like that idea. I don't know how what that actually looked like in practice, but it sounds like in DC in like the mid '80s that they're just like, okay, we're leaving punk to the Nazis and we're just going to start other punk, I guess. <laughs> and well, start donating to, to like well, organizations, like leftist organizations. I don't well, know. Welcome to punk 2.0. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's what Ian was up to at this point. Meanwhile, we've got Guy, Guy Picciotto, a DC native. <laughs> he was at the same uh, cramp show in 1979 that got Ian into punk. So Little little dovetail there. Um, he was playing in the band Rites of Spring, as we all know. I think we all know one of the uh, uh, classic formative emo bands, uh, constantly referenced in the uh, original list of of emo core, as it as it were, and um, never referenced by any band since. We really uh, needed Fugazi as a gateway band if people were getting into punk through the cramps before. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a very necessary yeah. correction. Yeah. yeah exactly. I, I, I do love Rites of Spring as an, as an entity being the first band that starts this thing that would then become something uh, much beloved and also much maligned. Like any starter of any musical genre, they mm-hmm. r- should rightfully, they should, and I believe, do rightfully hate their designation as the beginning of something. Yeah, you can never agree right. with your original label, you know. Well, even, uh, I mean, Ian MacKay, like, inventing Straight Edge and then that becoming, like, the sickest jock culture ever. <laughs> it's like, that's his worst nightmare. Like, it, it, he's like a guy that just probably wears the same T-shirt forever. They don't even make T-shirts. And then he starts, like, the... He basically invented merch accidentally by inventing straight edge. You know, it's so cool. <laughs> we we referenced that uh, at the end of the minor threat episode that of so many people were printing unlicensed minor threat merch that he eventually just had to give up suing them out out of yeah. doing it. Speaking uh, of that, really quickly because I forgot to say it when we were talking about this mirror image, Travis Barker keeps wearing a bootleg Fugazi t-shirt lately, like on red carpets or like hanging out with his girlfriend, Courtney Kardashian. Kardashian. And it's like a gi in the basketball hoop upside down from Uh that scene. And, and then the best thing was, 
a couple of days ago, I, I made a note to bring this up on here because um, he posted a photo of himself, Travis Barker, on Instagram, like just like looking back on no shirt on, of course, on his couch, like laying back. And it just, mm. he, the caption is, I am a patient boy. Um, <laughs> and then there's this lady named Jamie Foxx, like not Jamie Foxx, but it's like J-A-Y-M-E-F-O-X-X. Sure. She's like mm. a serious DJ and stuff. And she always comments on his photos. But so he said, I'm a patient boy. And then she wrote, I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait. And then everyone started replying. It was like, he's with Courtney now. Stop fucking being so thirsty. Like everyone thought she was like doing a thirst oh, trap. But she that like, is so funny of the, wonderful. the fucking waiting room lyrics being led into Kardashian drama on Instagram. I mean, that <laughs> yes. is like the, the, the fullest through the looking glasses this could go. Yeah. Also just waiting room instead of Drake lyrics as like your Instagram <laughs> thirst trap caption is like, that's an exciting evolution of the platform. But yeah. yeah, she was like, but then she started replying to people like, no, it's, it's from a song. It's from a song. It's from a song. Look it up. Know your history. <laughs> okay. Exactly. That's what, you should not be in the comments defending yourself at that point. That You just got to step away. That's, you that's embarrassing it. behavior. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if anyone ever has. Maybe someone has hooked up by doing a Fugazi quote off before. You never know. Yeah, I'm going to start replying to every Kardashian Instagram post with just uh, <laughs> like, like sad face. My time is water down the drain, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> Let's see if anybody picks up on it. <laughs> Let um, please like update us. This is an exciting experiment. <laughs> I, I do also want to say, just because we're talking about Reds of Spring, I just have this very clear memory of getting in an argument with my freshman year college roommate who I love and we had many great like musical experiences he was another college radio DJ with me but this is very like first quarter freshman year getting in a huge fucking argument where I was legitimately like storm out of the room mad arguing that right me being like rights of spring was the first emo band and he was like nah man Weezer <laughs> you can't would, would not budge on that point Whoa. you can't argue with that I mean like you obviously can but you're already starting uh, starting below zero you know yeah <laughs> you're not arguing with a reasonable individual at that point yeah. it was and it was not a bit either he was he was absolutely like no It'd I know my rock history they were, yeah that's kind of like the birth that argument those two paths are just kind of the two strains of emo still. That kind of is like the, the two things really. It's the people who fused rights of spring with the, the power pop set sensibilities of a queezer. Yeah. Right, yeah. Let's real quick. Listen and the to full a, bad man vibes of Pinkerton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's be honest. Uh, let's real quick. Listen to a, a, a rights of spring clip. This is for want of. Great riff. Love that riff. See, this doesn't sound like moist. <laughs> I wish it sounded more like if you slowed this down by like 20 or 30 BPM <laughs> and, and then what added like Rayman Zarek keyboard over it yeah I'm trying much. to go off what you were it's like one of those things where I would like for you to describe it more and then I would like to try to make my idea of a right yeah <laughs> yeah and if it was like definitely about fucking but like very PG-13 where you're kind of like it's a lot of like bags of sand kind of stuff where you're like I don't know 100% if any of these people have had sex before like that's the kind of energy well they're being uh, called moist so <laughs> yeah you know what they're talking about <laughs> 
I haven't listened to this in so long. It sounds really good. I know. It's yeah, been it's a good. really long time. Like, it sounds so much like Sam I Am. I feel like I actually have to go back and listen to Rise of Spring again. Yeah. I was listening through this album. It's, it's good. If there's nothing I think of a great vocal performance from Gee. I love that riff. Anyway, that's just a taste of For Want Of, off Rights of Spring's one album. Uh, Rights of Spring, also a classic, uh, like, first band, because they played uh, 14 shows total. Like, they were barely a, a thing. Uh, and they also kept... Part of the reason that they only played 14 shows is they were always breaking their equipment, including uh, breaking equipment during practice. Uh, they just sounded like they were... They, they came in so hot that... They just could not. They bur- they burnt out rather than faded away. And I like the description of how they uh, how they broke their instrument. It wasn't like a rock star ego showmanship thing. They just got. They had so many emotions that they they, <laughs> yeah, were they just go- could not be contained and they kept breaking their stuff. The tears yeah. were causing it to decay. Yeah, they shorted out their their amp circuits <laughs> from crying too much. Too much. <laughs> um, so us? anyway, Rights of Spring was existing uh, and kind of crossing crossing paths with uh, Ian's folk. Uh, one of the Discord guys things was saying that the summer of 1985 was going to be the revolution summer uh, <laughs> in an, an interesting act of like kind of branding, I guess. Like I feel, you know, yeah, if you say true. something is a thing, like they kind of made it a meme, it sounded like. It's like the first um, uh, marketing activation Ever, <laughs> it's a brand, a brand activation for Discord. I get. It. I remember uh, like ten years ago, like work, like having so much work that we were doing one one summer, and then being like, okay, August though we're stopping. Like everything we're doing is stopping summer of August, and I still treat the, <laughs> like a good summer is still that way where you're like, gotta have summer of August at some point. I think like branding your summer is important. I believe that we white boy summer, yeah, white boy summer, True. hot girl summer. Like these are all, yeah. uh, you know, because of me. It's and all also, summer, I guess, usually. Rights of spring. I gotta yeah, shut no up my doing f- an autumn, a sensitive well, autumn. I gotta mm. shut up my friend uh, Kevin Stebner, who's kind of like kept the true emo torch alive through various eras of coolness and not coolness. But he ha- he has two record labels, but one of them is called Revolution Winter because he lives in Alberta, and it's always like <laughs> he's just like sad and cold and putting out uh, screamo and emo records. For people. that's very funny. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. The the winter of our of everyone's discontent. Uh, winter of discord tent. Yes. There it Nicely is. Done. There it is. Uh, yeah, I wonder like do you think Revolution Summer actually like was what it was chalked up to be or do you think it was just like some guys hanging out? Buy some outhouses. Uh, well, the fact that Fugazi doesn't get going for another uh, year after it. Uh, I mean, I imagine that they did a bunch of like. It sounds like they were doing organizing a bunch of benefit shows that they yeah, would like political. Yeah, let's be honest. So that's pretty like that's not the kind of summer you remember, really. Like, <laughs> that's if, not if, a if you're a teenager, that's not really that fun to be like, oh, we did a bunch of paperwork or whatever. Well, <laughs> that's like saying going to the Global Citizen Festival featuring Ed Sheeran and Beyonce is Revolution Summer. But you saw some amazing speakers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, wait. What was that horrible like TED Talk festival that you uh, went to? Aussie Fest. Aussie Fest. Oh, like, yeah. That's not Revolution Summer. Was that, no, that real? Yes, I did. I did not go to it, but uh, the, it does some of the not other feel real. Shows, yeah. It feels like vapor, vapor wave, and it feels well, like from a, like a different and very specific era of the internet, like yeah, three years well, just, ago. I'm just imagining uh, an Aussie Fest that is programmed exclusively by. Uh, hardcore bands of 16 year olds that only existed for seven months. Yeah. Yeah. 
Actually, this does really that. track. Thinking back to Revolution Winter and thinking back to all the people I've known in my whole life, there are tons of teens who put on, like, the most epically branded festival that is like has like 25 kids come to it but you're still like yeah. when you hear about it across the country you're like oh i wish i was there i mean it, I was, a I was, there. it was a fucking fest <laughs> yeah it's also that like very misguided like i'm gonna do something i'm gonna start something called like rock against heroin and then <laughs> yes you're like what what do you do like i don't understand is there a particular well, organization you're supporting it. here <laughs> And then Listen, you know we what? rock and we're against it. That's yeah. all you need to know. They play the show and they raise $87 for the local free clinic. And you know totally. what? That That's something. That's practice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's practice. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like making fun of it in my head. And I'm like, you know what? That, that is kind of doing something. It's better so, than nothing, yeah. I suppose. True. No, it's, so, it's so easy now as like jaded adults to, to make fun of it. But like, that's yeah. the thing that was attractive about it. And especially like when we were younger, like, you know, for me, you get into it and you're like, these people like believe in something, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's important. True. As somebody who's currently trying to produce a festival with uh, some charity uh, goals to it, uh, yes, it is very difficult. Yeah. Gotta, you got to br brand so hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just speak it into existence. Brand I summer. Brand summer. I did want to shout out, there is the kickoff show of Revolution Summer was uh, Punk Percussion Protests Against Apartheid, which was outside the South African Embassy in D.C., and people just banged on whatever they could find for hours. And oh I just wanted God. to tie that into what a very... Um, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about popular, but a very key feature of Woodstock '99 was that there were basically like a roving band of like drum circle guys who stole all the trash cans and were banging on them wherever they went, and that's why all the trash ended up on the ground <laughs> because people were doing drum circles. And I'm like, that is actually something that I, I, I'm like, do we bring that back? Like, is drum circle energy something in a post-pandemic world that could find some kind of traction? Please, well, as someone who lives in Montreal close <laughs> to the Tam Tam, yeah. uh, please, Just, for the love of God, do not bring them back. Josiah please. lives in the North American capital of drum circles. Have you yeah, guys I heard can, like, about if the I, Tams? If I... If I like no. go on my deck, just like if I go on the balcony, just on a Sunday, and just let's just go like this, I can hear a faint like. The rhythm <laughs> carries through the city. It's it magical. Does. It's horrifying. And oh, there's man. larpers in the same park. Just like just beyond the hill, there's also larping and drum circles. It's a magical park. If you're ever in Montreal on a Sunday, just grab some beers from the depth and just get your tam on. See, as I've gotten <laughs> older, I've learned to love like. I feel like every year I get older, I, I like one degree of stupider hardcore music. And like, I just mm. love things that sound like hate breed and stuff. So mm. going back to my youth of wanting to be like into serious, intelligent things. And then realizing that part of Fugazi's kind of birth was a drum circle. It really just makes sense. And I understand why so many like punk and hardcore people didn't like Fugazi. Cause there was a drum circle element instead of very uh, earnest, instead of a meathead screaming into and selling yeah. merch. Know. That's their drug. <laughs> They're straight edge, but their drug is, is drum circle. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the serotonin. The human connection that you get. Dome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that so you know, Revolution Summer starts. Uh, Ian started the band uh, Embrace, which only lasted nine months. Uh, Guy and his rights as spring bandmate uh, Brendan Canty played kind of band musical chairs. And we're kind of starting things, stopping them. Meanwhile, uh, Joe Lally comes to town. He is a metalhead from Rockville, Maryland, who uh, converted to punk from metal. And he quit his NASA computer job to move to D.C. and got into the Discord community like a real, a, a real white collar sh shedding of the white collar uh, that I appreciated. And he met Ian. Which is 
Uh, sorry, yes. as an interjection, because that just reminded me of something that uh, <laughs> a generation later, one of the guys from uh, Dismemberment Plan would, I believe, when Dismemberment Plan broke up, which is like the DC post hardcore after Fugazi, mm-hmm. got a job at NASA as a computer scientist. Mm. Really? That's so that's like a do. weird, uh, a weird uh, full circle. You know that <laughs> article that was written by uh, what's the singer of Dismemberment Plan? His name Travis. Travis uh, Stan. His name is Travis Stan. Right, Travis Stan. But it was his <laughs> wife, right, that wrote that article that was like what it's like to be married to someone who is very famous to a super small group of people. And yes. this all happened before oh. I knew him. It's like a really fascinating article. She's like, he was just like a guy at NASA or whatever. I don't remember if he was the one with the job at NASA, but he got a real straight job. And she wrote this really mm-hmm. interesting article that was like, we started dating. And he was like, yeah, I used to be in a band. And you're like, okay, yeah, like a lot of people were in bands. And then they like reunited and she was like, this is actually fucking really weird. <laughs> like, she was not into uh-huh. it, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be my former coworker uh, who used to work, work at Slate. And I met and hung out with Travis Morrison and went to one of those reuniting re, uh, uh, concerts through her. Holy uh, shit. Catherine. Sick. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Uh, Travis is a real, is a real sweetie. Uh, so is so she, I'm trying to remember, Catherine, I, I haven't talk, talked to her or honestly thought about her in, in a long time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember that article. He had that also, great acoustic ludicrous Catherine, cover too. He's cool. Maybe, yeah, he's, he's very cool. <laughs> Catherine Goldstein. Yeah, maybe, okay. the, maybe the NASA thing is because they're in D.C. Because I just remembered something and I Googled it to confirm. And it's true that at least uh, the post-government issue band Jawbox, who were on Discord as well, mm-hmm. the guitarist of that band went to school with Brett Kavanaugh. And like, th- like he was like the same age group, or like there, it seems like maybe he went to school with some Discord people. And like huh. Matt from Piss Jeans did this tweet that was like, you know, there's a good chance that some of these minor threat songs were literally about Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. But it's also like wow. I, you know the 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 thing about Discord and like that whole community, and this is not like the fault of these people. It's like they were basically all the children of like government employees and but in like ambassadors and stuff like this was and this that is mean, why that's why they're the blueprint of indie because it's yeah. just all <laughs> nepotism uh. it's literally you know the, the, the reason and this is you know i'm sure you guys this got discussed with minor threat but it's like the, there was a latitude that they were afforded to make these decisions that were all against their best interests financially as a band mm-hmm which is because they were rich kids. And you only yeah. realize that when you get older and you're like, oh, that's how punk works. Mm-hmm. And but it's- yeah. rich kids with liberal parents, yeah. which is like a weird like special twist that I think creates these super idealistic punks. Totally. Is that you have like the parents who are working in government that are like, yeah, you know, the arts... And it's never, yeah. you know, it's not punk or whatever. It's, it's the arts. Totally. Yeah, yeah, good Run your arts organization out of our house. <laughs> right. Because like well, Discord what, House is still there, right? Like you just go yeah, yeah. and hang. What yeah. I think is so, my favorite thing as I get older and think about Fugazi, even when Sam and I just talked about it, it's all it ever, it, Fugazi is like, rotates around this idea of a dollar amount. Like we're mad mm-hmm. that we paid so much money for the CDs. Then you mentioned mm-hmm. every discord CD was $10. And then it's like, obviously the $5 shows thing. It's like yeah. everything about Fugazi is like that. It's cheap. And there's some sort of thing to do with gen X people. I think of this gen X coworker I used to have who was like, always complaining about how expensive restaurants were in our city and how everything was a rip off, but also like theoretically wanted people to have rights or like make more money or you know what I mean like there's this kind of gen x disconnect mm. where you think everything should be cheap but also everyone mm. should get paid lots of money um and then it was making me think about how 
the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater was like famously they would always talk about how they modeled it after Fugazi. And then more recently, Wait, really? Yeah, they, 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 yeah. That. Like Amy Poehler was like, "Yeah, we're, we want everything to be five dollars because of Fugazi." And then of course, like everyone who worked there, you know, all kinds of shit went oh, down yeah. because there was no money at all. So it's kind of this funny thing where like Fugazi was like, "Yeah, anyone can, you can do it yourself, but also make sure it's cheap." But like, not everyone's going to be the most famous band in the world. So five dollars <laughs> yeah. isn't well, sustainable. Well, that's generous Fugazi, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a certain there's a certain level of operation where it is sustainable and if you're just four guys i mean that's one thing but like an entire business that runs on the uh the that runs on the performance of thousands of of like children uh yeah like ucb uh you know somebody's not getting paid and guess what it's the children <laughs> yeah, exactly. right being being in fugazi is like being it, it uh, you're in like a monk kind of brotherhood yes. like it's you're making a vow of poverty basically but, but still, for like, like creating your shit, but but they're yeah. still like Fugazi is like, for lack of a better term, they're the Coca Cola of DIY <laughs> punk bands, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. only one Fugazi, and so they're the only ones, even by doing a vow of poverty, can make it work. Like, yeah. trust me, I've tried it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I remember like the era of like being in a, like getting in your first band and you're like, every show is going to be five bucks. And even when we're over 19, we'll never play a, not an all ages show. And like immediately turning 19 and being like, this is fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is not like sustainable, <laughs> like not even like as a, just as a hobby, it's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's get into a little more of what, what exactly Fugazi's uh, monkish ethos was. So this is just a, a recap. Musical chairs happened. Uh, Ian hooks up with um, uh, Bernie Canty. Uh, Kit, uh, oh, and Lally joins uh, this band as bassist. Um, the idea of the band is, uh, <laughs> what if, what if the Stooges had some reggae in it? That was, uh, <laughs> that was Ian's elevator pitch for what ended up being Fugazi. Uh, Guy stopped by rehearsals, uh, when they were kind of in the early stages. And, uh, he said, I didn't see an entry. I couldn't see a point where I could play with the band. It seemed really completed already. He has a little like emo, literally emo phase where he like skips town, like travels in a car all around the country, sells Halloween pumpkins in Texas for a few days, comes back and like begrudgingly joins Fugazi, even though (laughs) like he, he's basically welcomed into the fold. Um, so it's kind of a, delayed a little awkward joining but they get together and then they start playing shows and then they they end up with this this ethos where it's you know five dollars five dollar tickets for shows always playing all ages uh which limits them you know you see this in instrument uh they're playing school gyms they're playing dorm rooms they're playing like weird basements like they they rarely even get to play like regular clubs that normal hardcore bands would have access to yeah they, they're back to you know i feel like we've talked about it, a couple other bands in the book at this point who've gotten more into the life of being a co- you know coddled as a band a little bit not or at Fugazi. least sleeping in a hotel room sleeping in a hotel yeah. room or having someone else uh pack up their equipment or drive their van uh fugazi no way they're driving their own van they're doing their own booking ian is doing the majority of this uh they're not doing interviews with magazines they wouldn't themselves read uh, you know, they, they're not spending any money. They're doing the, the old, uh, Minutemen idea of if you're not, uh, if you're not playing, you're paying. So their schedule is absolutely insane. They're playing shows all the time. Uh, 
yeah, it's uh, and and more most importantly that I want to talk about they part of the new scene, the new punk scene that they're sort of helping create is that they banned slam dancing at their shows. So not yes. only are they playing five dollar shows to people of a, a huge swath of interest from hardcore fandom to uh. I don't know. I didn't have anything better to do tonight. And the show is only $5. They're now not letting people mosh, which I find interesting. It's an interesting choice. I'm curious about the inflation, like, and also how much other shows were at this time. Like, cause a $5 show back then mm. probably, you know, cause even now still I've, I've put on shows like five years ago where someone's like, seriously, $8 for this Canadian. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking, there's like three bands on tour and no one's going to yeah. come. Like, of course, $8. I mean, yeah. Sorry. I like yeah, it. I mean, I, I, I'm not, not to harp on my own thing, but you know, I, I, doing this streaming festival that has a uh, 10 acts in one day. And I got a, a lot of people being like, Oh, $15. Yeah. To, for, to watch. And I'm like, well, it's, it's 10 acts. It's like a buck 50 per act. And they're, they're like, really? I, I like that in Josiah's anecdote, this person is also really angry that they're paying in Canadian. <laughs> Canadian. I was just, as I was this show in Calgary, <laughs> as I was saying it out loud, I was thinking, that actually is five dollars American still. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. the I'm just obsessed with Fugazi math, pretty much, I, is what I'm saying. I think Fugazi there was math. an attempt to kind of adapt it. Like I, always, I really think that like on the music industry is sort of the closest kind of modern comp to that band in terms of you know a group of people that really did commit to uh, to their detriment to a very very specific kind of set of ideals that were like modeled after Fugazi that you know Jeff Rosenstock as a solo artist has been free to abandon and sell out mm -hmm. like a huge fucking dickhead um <laughs> and and I but I remember like knives out for Jeff Rosenstock yeah, yeah that's it we're <laughs> coming come for Jeff is is like they were their whole thing was 10 bucks and so I feel like that maybe was the reasonable inflation but I remember booking shows for them in in Canada and I was like you're honestly not going to be able to, to do it like we're going to yeah. get you into the country like there's nowhere that's going to like we're going to do an all ages show so we're going to have to like buy someplace out but like their their thing was was doubling it over the years so maybe mm -hmm. maybe 10 bucks is the new is the new five bucks yeah i mean i'm curious about how that even works because if, presumably if you're playing in any kind of commercial venue that the, the venue needs to get paid as well so you know it needs you need to make a certain amount out of this but then they would need like a coffer venue. i mean the economics of it are interesting but but to, just to get back to a, a thing about you're saying in the previous segment of being like you know the they're the coca-cola of 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 hardcore i mean the thing that made this all possible that is i think downplayed a little in the book but is the harsh the 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 harsh reality of it is that you had the superstar brand name of 80s punk in your band yeah and they were like they took they they tried to sell it and, and tried to like keep ian's name off the flyers or anything but in the end it was like oh the minor threat guy is coming through and he's got a new band and that's like enough name recognition at yeah, this point yeah. to like drive this whole thing from, from the ground up. And then, you know, once people, you got people in the door, you got to see, uh, you know, Guy shoving himself through basketball hoops and that starts <laughs> building the uh, reputation up from there. And then, and then you know, Travis Barker like, starts staying at Kardashian. I mean, it, the yeah, rest yeah. is history. That's still the reason, like, that's why I went to go see the evens. Like, sure. That record is yeah. fine. But I was like, you're telling me I'm going to be able to look at Ian McKay. Like, yeah, all right, exactly. I'll, how much money do you want? Oh, five bucks. Fine. Yeah. yeah. I I was like on a road trip with my family when I was a teenager. So I, in Canada, so I missed 
two different Fugazi shows I could have gone to on the argument oh, tour. Like, I was just in the wrong city at the wrong time. Uh, so I also have seen the Evens a few times. And I also just, like, that's the thing about Ian MacKay that's so funny is I'm just obsessed with, like, how curmudgeonly he's always been. And, like, presumably he must have laughed before about something in his life. Like, surely he must find something humorous. But even when I saw them at, I saw the Evens at the Department of Safety in Anacortes, and he just, like, started doing this rant. It was Oscar night that night and he started doing this rant about how the Oscars are irrelevant, but we were at like a venue that like Calvin Johnson and Phil Elverham hang out at, like would hang out at in a converted <laughs> fire hall in Anacortes. Like in the middle, like no one even barely knew what the Oscars were. So it was like, it was so awkward. Wait, I, I missed it. What, do you remember what year this was? I'm trying to think it must've been like 2004 or 2000. Hey, that's Crash's year, baby. Yeah. I hope he was really mad about Crash. Yeah. <laughs> Racism just isn't. It's not just about the racist things you do to people. It's about <laughs> the structures that uphold it. Uh, they made well, this movie seem as easy as if you don't do things that are racist, then there won't be racism. <laughs> but I think I, that, just that, that goes with the slam dancing thing. That I feel like there's this develops this weird, and you know, I even feel it moralistically as too, a like kind of dom sub relationship between the fan and Ian MacKay, where you're like part of the thing of you're a fan of is this kind of anomalous ability to uphold decades of a strict moral like authority and integrity on things and you're at least for me you're like watching that and being like damn couldn't be me but i respect it i (laughs) I want to i want to see the performance of that i want to go i want him to yell at me i want him to tell me i'm a bad little boy (laughs) Uh, through through both his his a lifetime of actions through his music, through potentially like telling me I'm dancing rudely at his show, you know, like the whole thing, that's like part of the attraction of him. And I bet, I don't know. I feel like that would piss him off. I mean, that's like the last time we heard of him getting pissed off in the minor threat was being mad that a, a fan told him was saying like, Hey man, green tea has caffeine in it and caffeine's a drug. And he's like, Hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like part of the thing. I, I want him to, to, Ian MacKay, step on me. I was going to say, Ian, Ma- Ian MacKay, spit, spit in my mouth. I am a worm compared to you. <laughs> I think I've heard, I, I don't, I, the thing, my, my reasoning for why I tell things that uh, people have told me that are hearsay is that I can never remember who told me, so I feel like I can't get in trouble <laughs> you for it. That protects them. But somebody did tell me that, like, Ian MacKay will always go hang out backstage at Coachella, and they've, uh, someone, I don't know if this is true, but someone told me they've seen him sipping champagne back there. So, <gasps> oh I don't know. I, I remember hearing in high school that Ian MacKay would relax with a microbrew from time to time. Yeah, and I love I mean, that that was, has like, part of such elegant bevy. <laughs> he yeah. has big I thought you were going to say he was, he was seen a uh, taking a few key bumps i'm like oh, champagne that sounds yeah that sounds wonderful Champagne's not alcoholic it's just simply celebration in a glass <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't, I don't even really expect him to hold up because you know it's not like he follows a religion or anything he, he has his own, his own terms uh, yeah but it is like that that level of respect that he commands is part of the performance at a certain level it's true uh you know and i, I also <clears throat> see the the sort of uh ban on slam dancing as like a interesting overcorrection from obviously like what had happened with minor thread and the idea that they abandoned mm-hmm. this punk scene that they kind of created like the whole flex your head identity that they tried mm-hmm. to pretend yeah. they were smart. It's like, no, like the DC punks were violent, white, 
dudes that were violent. And that was the whole mm-hmm. fucking scene. And, yeah. and I understand the idea of evolving past that and being like, maybe this sucks. And like, as a person that has worn glasses for a long time, I, I think one of the things that kept me like away from like hardcore, hardcore is the fact that like, you can't stand anywhere near anything that's happening or else your mm-hmm. eyesight is in danger. And so I, uh, and that's I, why I, lost- I love it actually. That's why I loved <laughs> I- going to see the band hoax and the singer was going up to people and just straight up punching them in the face while singing with like not even there's no nuance he was just like punching them straight yeah. in the face Sam Sam I have lost my glasses in a pit while I was on a date Oh that's were you able to like accurate like recover in a way that maintained your dignity or was it all embarrassing Have I, have I ever told this story on the show before He went home like, with a different person I, can't, I don't remember I don't think so Yeah uh, I, I was at some some like uh some New York DIY punk band show in the cake shop basement and I didn't know that it was going to be that hard and it was the girl I was with had gone to the the bar and the band started playing and it was just like one of those things where the band starts in like instant mosh pit and I immediately like tur- looked to my left and there's just feet coming t- towards my face from somebody crowd surfing and my glasses go to the floor I dive to try to get them it was also the nice kind of a mosh pit where as soon as I dive down to get oh, them, people stop. three guys, yeah. three guys like start pulling me up and I go back down again and they pull me back up. And on the third time I look up and be like, my, man, my glasses. And the guy just looks down at me and shakes his head and goes, man, they're smushed. <laughs> uh, it's over. See, I've been the guy where I've lost my glasses and I'm looking and then all of a sudden, like you get a couple of nice guys who like clear out the pit and you're like yeah. in the middle looking for your glasses. And I've actually yeah. never really lost my glasses at a show. Uh, thanks to the kindness of strangers. But uh, the, the girl powerful. ended up having to uh, kind of help walk me back home. Uh, there was no second date. And I went back to cake shock the next day asking for my glasses. If they found a pair of glasses and uh, was laughed at, but <laughs> they were the, like, uh, I don't know, man, the there's some there. trash. I That's can't it. believe you went back. That's very funny. Also, you know, good, good little pickup artist bit is, you know, you lose your glasses and then you're, you're like, Oh, can you help me take me home? Like I can't find my way home. Yes. Yeah, this is interesting. Or let's go to your place. Maybe it's closer. There's <laughs> some innovative techniques happening on this yeah. show. This yes. is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm, I'm just still trying to figure out when I saw uh, the events because I, I found the ticket for the show. It was with <laughs> Calvin Johnson and Wolf, uh, Jean-Vivre Castrive, who passed away recently. She played it as well. But I can only find the, the, that it was Sunday, February 27th, but I don't know what year. So <laughs> I'm trying to reverse when was the When was the last Sunday the, tw- I, I, the that's February the thing. I'm like on some like really <laughs> complex calendar website right now and trying <laughs> to keep up with the conversation the as well. <laughs> I wonder if it was on the same tour I saw them. So I saw the Evens in 2007 in Montreal, La Salle Rosa. That was because I had missed the show in Toronto because I wasn't in Toronto. And I went, I went up to Ian and I, I could, I had, I was broke and I already owned all the even stuff. And so I had nothing to say to him, but I just like wanted to meet him. And I was like, Hey man, um, thanks for making high school easier. Uh, <laughs> and, and he went, what's high school? And I was like, cool. Thanks. And I just oh. fucking vanished into Montreal. Yeah. You got, oh. you got what you wanted, which was to be lightly domed by Ian. Totally. And then I, and then I, probably like drank a 40 of Labad 50 on a stoop and went to club super sex in true <laughs> oh, club super sex. Club super sex, uh, you know, in true respecting Fugazi fashion. That was, I, I I'm from Burlington, Vermont and uh, club super sex was uh, where you went when you turned 18. Oh, ideally. Yeah. I was unfortunately simply not that cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to, 
So we've been doing a lot of goofs, but I do want to say that the Fugazi music is really good. And we should play yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Next, next in the in the narrative is them recording uh, their their first EP. So, so here here it that. is. After a whole lot uh, of goofing about this, here's just like one of the best songs, uh, like rock songs written in this decade. It's you know what it is. It's waiting room. It is like the Stooges, but ragged. Yeah, that's really accurate. They nailed it. I, he, did, he, did, he did exactly what he wanted. Damien Abraham from Fucked Up is, is fairly vocal about hating this band, specifically because he's just like, it's a punk band trying to play world music. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's, the, that is one way of reading the it. The drum circle, you know, I mean, it's... Yeah. It's the kinds of people who say they listen to world music. World music. Uh, I, however, think they nailed it. Oh, I mean, uh, you, yeah. Mo- Molly knows that it, it's uh, that it, it's almost a personal joke for me that one of my favorite things to hear in any rock music is dub influences. <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris Wade, and uh, Wade starts with W, and d- uh, Dub is short for W. <laughs> yeah, right. you can Chris call dub. me C. You can call me C Dub, and C-dub. The, the Dub stands for Dub Influences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading um, uh, Last Night at DJ Saved My Life right now, and so there's a, uh-huh. a chapter in it about uh, the sound systems, and it gets into dub. And it's like made, it sent me on such a deep dub kick, so I'm right there with you, mm. Chris Dub. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing about this song is that it is a jock jam. Like, they do play it is. this it's- at like hockey games, like, literally the worst sports, the jockiest sports. Like, you don't hear this song at basketball games. Like you don't hear this at any of the, like, cool sports. It's What what, what hockey teams play this? The yeah. D.C. area hockey team? I, it is kind of a D.C. area anthem. He's, he notes it. Or maybe I was reading about uh, Waiting Room. They note that basically it's it, it, basically every rock band that tours to D.C. eventually plays a Waiting Room cover to the point where, like, D.C. rock audiences at certain points have been like, no, don't. Please stop. No. We don't need to hear the song. <laughs> I, I've an, a, once again anecdotally heard that they play it at Capitals games and at Washington football team games, which like that went before they even became actually the Washington football yeah. team, which like I just would love to know how that felt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. It's a great fucking band. Though. Billy it's Talent has covered Waiting Room. Really? And you so has the Adamantist package cover of this is honestly quite sick. And MC Lars sampled it along with Girl Talk. <laughs> Uh, MC Lars. Now, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, call me Ahab what? Monomaniac. You guys know that album? No. Where he raps about a, a Captain Ahab? Is that is, is MC Lars like MC Chris or whatever? Like the nerd Yeah, he's rappers? like a nerdcore guy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, great song. Big great song. tune. Big tune, indeed. Big tune. See so yeah, that w- that was off a uh, June June nineteen eighty eight self titled EP. Um, uh, in the record the recording process, uh, Ian reads every lyric he writes to the band for unanimous approval. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is you know we we'll, we have talked about and we'll talk about again just uh all the the sort of toxic dynamics that can come as a part of these bands especially when you're like working in terrible conditions and like you're barely making any money or whatever I love but it, it does seem like aspirational yeah. left-wing politics are just like dumb every era like every era is <laughs> just as like like okay guys yeah um, for sure 
Oh, well, I like to imagine him doing that the process not as like a whole thing, like reading a poem, but going like word by word to the committee. And so it's like, I, good, am, <laughs> good, a, all right, yeah. patient, <laughs> patient. We're all on board with patient. Okay, next word, yeah. boy. It's arduous but necessary. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't yeah. he do that in instrument too? I feel like there's a scene where he's like showing the lyrics on a screen or something. Yeah, maybe may- it's just too maybe. vibey to really figure out the. <laughs> The tension, but that movie put me in a, it's a great movie. It put me in a weird mood, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, I mean, it's not, yeah, it, it was, the, the vibe was definitely very, it, it, was, it was, it's just like intense, but there, it's like very good. The music's very good. The performance are good, but yeah, it's very, it, it's very autumnal and it, it's like cloudy and, and kind of gave me anxiety. It yeah, reminds me of like making people as easy a little bit in terms of like just a bad vibe rock dog, but not, not a bad vibe, but just a, uh, they hadn't established the beats of every Netflix uh, yeah. rock docu- mm, or music documentary. I, I, again, I recommend looking it out, but it is, it's, 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 there's an intensity to it. But I think that that reflects the band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. Sure. It feels like a Fugazi release rather than a movie about yeah. Fugazi, I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, they, they recorded that EP. They did a long, a th- they did a three month European tour, which sounds uh, awful. The, We've had a lot of bad descriptions of Europe, but the way they this describe th- Europe in this chapter is by far the worst. Yeah, they're they're talking about like, you know, staying in squats where like, you know, you play the show at the squat and then you're you're you remind the weird German guy like, "Hey, we're also staying here." And they're like, "Yeah, totally." And like points to your dressing room where it's just where you're going to sleep and you like get into your sleeping bag and you try to go to the bathroom, but the toilet is smashed and you're locked in because you're like locked in from the outside and you're peeing through the mail slot. Like it just sounds like every night is hell. Yeah. And but, uh, lots of rats. It's, it, it feels uh, like they toured exclusively like weird dungeons and not in the fun German sex way, but yeah, uh, tour rocks, like bombed, <laughs> yeah, bombed out ruins. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick. That's pretty, yeah. that sounds familiar. Also. Yeah, I was like, I, I mean, I don't recognize the specifics of it, but the, the sort of tenor of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's uh, right. That's me and a band. You ever have insomnia also, for like four days in a row, and then you're like, oh, I feel like I'm on tour right now. This is sick. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, meanwhile, Guy is like, you know, uh, he's on st- his stage presence, as we've talked about prior with the basketball hoop. Uh, you know him becoming the basketball like he's flopping around on stage he's humping the amps he's like crashing into piles and then he has to like sleep on the floor and like get up and do it again like it just you know his poor his poor bod specifically it is if you watch uh fugazi live stuff a very physically demanding uh live mm-hmm. performance uh azarad calls it a uh, a uh, uh, an almost hammy sensuality. <laughs> Damn, I don't that's remember the that moist, phrase. That's the moist influence right there. That's the moist influence <laughs> coming through. <laughs> we have, uh, we have so, a, uh, Josiah and I have a friend and, and a, a guy's like another music writer in Toronto named Mark Teo who uh, really made moist like his beat and would describe them as <laughs> his big descriptor was greasy fuck rock. Which oh my God. I, I feel like, uh, wait, what was the description that Azarad gave? It was like hammy sensuality. Hammy sensuality feels like a greasy fuck rock kind of <laughs> kind of vibe. That's so funny that that was a, a, a 90s Canadian rock move. So, I feel like America was very much either like you were maybe like a, a world music guy with anxiety, like a like an Adam Duritz or like the, the Herga Durga type of band, which is just the like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like what you're describing. Describing is Red Hot Chili Peppers, but Canadian. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure Adam Duritz fucks, though. Mm. I'm pretty sure Adam Duritz fucks. Oh, yeah, yeah he time. was. 
Yeah, yeah, he was getting it from from all angles. Yeah, <laughs> up, and, up and down and sideways. <laughs> imagine, sorry, but imagine the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but like with no funk. So like all the slow songs on Californication and like <laughs> Canadian or something. Like I yeah, just, you know, whatever the worst vision of Canada is. I think we got to explore moist. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting I'm getting ourselves. a lot of things in this. It's it's like the snow. What snow was to hip hop, moist was to Red Hot Chili Peppers. But I, this, also sorry, this with is a snow heavy slander that I will not stand for. Snow yeah, is a respected know. reggae <laughs> artist from Toronto. I like. If anything, Snow is part of the reason Fugazi is popular because of the reggae. <laughs> That's true. You the can white hear the reggae influence. thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Uh, uh, snow had dub influences. For that, <laughs> yeah, I exactly. Yeah. Direct line. <laughs> Um, the, the other bit of uh, touring lore that I thought was very funny is that uh, when he was interviewing the guys, Canty recalls plenty of times when somebody in a group house brings you there to sleep and the other members in the group house hate you for minor threat. Uh, <laughs> and then L- Lally chips in, or they write things on your bananas. Your banana says, you guys are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> just like these poor That's guys cute, like you're though. playing a show imagine yeah ne- like negging someone via banana like is the peel's getting thrown out anyways it's that's just cute if anything in my really. mind it's, it's like banana art right i mean are they doing it with yeah. a pin that's very contemporary it's very pinterest that's cool <laughs> i feel like the 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 flip side of that is like is is your uh calvin johnson and it's like a twee banana and the banana says like i like you will you be my girlfriend <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly>. that's the <laughs> k records banana versus the discord banana <laughs> Is like fuck you, man. Minor threat was better, and I miss moshing at your shows. Eat well, that, shit. I mean, I don't know if you had this in the, there, Molly. This skips forward a little bit. They talk later about how when they went to Olympia, they were like, "Wow, the vibe here, great. Nobody, yeah. t- nobody's talking shit about you. Everybody's yeah. just nice. We, well, this is awesome. That Oregon or that that yeah Pacific Northwest, nice. Yeah." You can you, they can stay, but they they can't. You know they can visit, they can't stay the night. Yeah. Alas, um, so yeah. So they they come back from this this horrible, intense European experience. Uh, they want to record their debut album. They're simply so exhausted that it, it just like doesn't go well. So they trim it down into an EP, which is Margin Walker. Margin Walker then eventually gets re- released with the self titled as Thirteen Songs. But do you want to pull something from? Yeah, let's uh, let's Walker? listen to Margin Walker. Great. Here Titular. we go. And now two guitars, right? Yes. Now uh, we've got Guy in the in the upper up, upper threshold, as it were. Also, like two iconic guitars, right? Like Ian with the SG and Guy with the uh, Beatles ass guitar. What the fuck is that thing called? Oh, the Rickenbacker. Yeah, with the Rick. Oh my God, they just so look so sick. cool together. I always thought of Ian as being kind of the Mark Hoppus and he being the Tom a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah, I got that. I also just think about the sort of, like, Sonic Youthy stuff that, like, opens this up. Yeah. And how, like, yeah. especially, like, I'm still not good at guitar, but, like, when I was, like, really bad at guitar, you were like, this sounds cool and I don't have to know what I'm doing and I sound like yeah. I'm in Fungus Eye. It's, like, yeah. really, like, a terrible <laughs> influence on a generation of teens that sucked at guitar. Uh, <laughs> you are so valid. We see you. We hear you. So the thing about the interplay between Guy and Ian's voices is they both sound like the guy who should be backing vocals, who <laughs> yeah. should only be shouting in the background. Ooh, that's but a they read. are 
co-lead vocalist. That's a read. I love but it that. Worked, but it works really well in That's that way. True. Because, it, because whenever they're yelling at each other in the background, you're like, oh, yeah, that background voice rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, just like truly, I think the best rhythm section in a yeah. punk band, like just unbelievably tight and interesting, yeah. like consistently interesting. Yeah, the bass lines are always uh, extremely cool. Sometimes it sounds like so dated, like REM or something too. Like it doesn't. The bass lines, especially, don't sound punk. They sound like like a yeah. theme song they're, they're, they're from they're the nineties. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. Uh, he, I feel like he never plays the low E. Like it's always yeah. the top three strings, and you're like, I didn't even know those strings existed in a punk band. <laughs> Margin Walker is also like Fugazi were the kings of cool phrases. Yeah, like, Margin Walker mm. is so sick. I mean, in on the kill ticket that I mentioned before. Josiah knows this. I have tr- steady diet, steady diet, steady and nothing, nothing great phrase. I've spent my entire career, like in like music media, trying to get something called end hits, like off the ground. Twelve years ago, or whatever, like when <laughs> when the only person with a podcast was like Mark Marin, who invented podcasting. Like I tried to do a podcast called it's like you a newsletter called End Hits. Like I'm just one day, you know. Oh, and Marge Walker is one better. of those things. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is kind of we talked we talked about uh, how the butthole surfers have this incredibly like g- like scatological absurdist poetry thing with like all of their song titles all their album titles and I feel like Fugazi is like the kind of reasonable version of that like yeah. it's like not it's not so extra no I mean also yeah, yeah there's just no- nothing funny there's there's nothing it's, it's so funny compared to to Moist because there's like nothing outside of the hammy sexuality of gee, there's like, this is like very sexless music, which is just funny that you're like <laughs> yeah. reggae, like rhythms, you know, like, you know, fun, like, no, but like, but also serious. <laughs> it's like, not, an, not like that, you know, no. it's like anthemic sloganeering in a way that one of the only other bands that I could think of that does this is like rage against the machine. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, there yeah. may be, who got maybe a little more, um, I mean, who's to say what's more poetic? There may be a little more, I don't know, metaphorical or esoteric yeah, uh, than I Rage agree. Against the Machine. That tends to be like pretty much what it is. But just in the terms of like those catchy, like s- s- agitprop slogans throughout all of their uh, their music, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also like you're like Margin Walker is sick, but like Bulls on Parade, also sick. <laughs> yes. People love the sun. Like these are just good phrases. Good People were just so much smarter back then and good at better at writing vibey titles because they weren't addicted to their damn phones <laughs> back then. <laughs> TikTok and all day. Do you think Ian Mackay has like a burner account on Instagram or something? Like he scrolls. Ian, Mac- Ian Mackay's Finsta would be another good display name. That's a pretty display name for someone to use. I'm, I'm 100% going to go on TikTok when this is done though and like look to see what people are doing with Fugazi because it's oh, obviously yeah. on there, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Ooh, what the Fugazi presence oh. on TikTok? You're, I, I'm it's going to be like a four, it's going to be like a 14 year old kid who's doing a presentation where they're pointing at the air, being like, "Why Fugazi is actually incredibly problematic and like <laughs> yes. or something." Yeah, totally. Oh, and it's going to be great. I'm going to love it. Like otherwise, this, it's uh, going to be a sea of people in waiting rooms just being like, just they just like Google <laughs> waiting room or whatever. I, I mean, 
one thing I haven't ever posted anywhere yet, I've, I've been trying to figure out, but I'll tell you guys, this is my secret for this deep into it, but there's this Mount Erie song called Books that's just like a super vibey, like, instrumental song, but because it's called Books, and I kind of think Mount Erie has kind of continued the torch of Fugazi a little bit, too, like, self-releasing everything. Everything's like a beautiful package and stuff, and also because of the Anacortes connection in my mind, but... um he has this song called Books that's just like this vibey acoustic composition. And because it's called Books, if you click it on TikTok, it's like people showing off like the shittiest book collections <laughs> ever. Like all the all the fantasy novels they're reading and stuff or like Lit, romance. Yeah. It, and like sometimes the track's even muted on it. Like it's just oh like a tag God. for books now. So oh, good. Christ alive. <laughs> that's very funny. I think that's your big yeah, ch- secret. Check out my uh, di- check out my divergent, uh, you know, series. <laughs> yeah. really a special shelf for. I'm really wondering now if if for the past like year, if you just look at uh, waiting room for Gazi on TikTok, it's just endless people, endless TikToks of people waiting to get like COVID tests. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's my prediction. You're you, you're definitely wow. right. We'll have to we'll have to do, do the research while, yeah. while, we, yeah. while we keep talking. Hell yeah, please. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the back back in their their narrative, you know, they they're I was about to say getting more popular. They're already popular as a as a concept via Minor Threat, but um, you know they're selling thousand ticket shows. Like they're selling big. I mean, of course they can be a thousand tickets because it's in a Dallas warehouse with a stage built on top of a crumpled car. At which Ian has to broker a peace treaty between a, a Nazi gang and an anti-Nazi gang. Like that's the kind of vibe of these <laughs> gigantic shows. Um, and they are also, you know, as they're playing, they're uh, being increasingly known as an, a quote, ethical lodestar, revered bastions of integrity in an increasingly compromised and corrupt world. Uh, so they, you know, the, damn, I, I would, I, I wish I could aspire to be an ethical lodestar, but I, I know that I'm man, already too fatally. I'm exhausted. <laughs> no, no way. There, I can't, who can, who among us can, can live like that? Uh, I can't even like stop ordering shit from Amazon. I'm trying to make a, a pie with Jello in it, and I'm like, where am I going to buy citric acid? <laughs> fucking Amazon.com. Do so you think that Ian McKay has a Is that the powder that I got in the mail today? Yeah, this is this is. Here, I'll do. I'll do a little unboxing. I'll do my Amazon unboxing. I think Fugazi on. is is not on uh, TikTok. I think they've blocked their sound. So there's only covers that have been the mustard plug cover has been. Uh, <laughs> put into things wow they're still holding out they still got some integrity ethical load stars (laughs) load stars um, Get at me my TikToks th- on vinyl, and then we'll, then you can play Fugazi. <laughs> uh, the the other bit from this section that I wanted to shout out is that you know in this book, uh, Azarad's kind of placing them amid uh, the other bands in the scene, and they're basically uh, similar to Butthole Surfers. They're in their kind of own category that they're not socializing with uh, the the pig fuck bands. Uh, they're not college rock. Uh, Ian Mackay dismissed the the uh, Chicago scene of like uh, Naked Ray Gun and Steve Albini as uh, the guys who smoke cigars and eat ribs. <laughs> I just, I'm like, what? Like they, they, he makes them sound like they're like weird like Chicago gangsters like in a back room like eating like you know plates of meat and smoking. I'm like, what? Is, I'm pretty sure Steve is like he's chilling out. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he like he likes to garden and cook and shit. 
I mean, yeah, also they're like, you know, not, not terrible thing. You know what I mean? It's not like they're, you know, uh, oh, those are the guys who were like beating up children for sport. <laughs> yeah. Those are the guys who play saw games with each other. It's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> they're, they're people of taste. Is that a crime? <laughs> Only an Ian MacKay's twisted punk world. Yeah. See what I mean? He probably watches the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Steve Albini watching the Oscars is something I'd like to be on a fly, a fly on the wall for. Yeah. Same, same. Isn't he I like a huge poker star huge. or something now? Yeah. Oh. So good. I want to know what yeah. he thinks about Crash. Well, yeah. Okay, so I did find it was 2005. Is that the Crash year? No, Million Dollar Baby. I think that's a year later. Million yeah. Dollar Baby okay. one. So that's, maybe that's why he's all about the Man. dollar amounts and it's too high of a dollar. <laughs> it should be $5 Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, corruption everywhere. Um, yeah, and also Discord doesn't do like promotion and marketing basically at all. They pass all that savings on to the consumer, except of course for the Canadian <laughs> consumer or the overseas consumer, which is unfortunate. Uh, and then by you know 1991, uh, when most of their peers are either thinking about or signing with majors, simply not an option for Fugaz. Uh, should we listen to something from Repeater? Which uh, is their 1989 I mean, album. Title track is the best. I mean, why don't we listen to two from this just because we haven't played a lot. But uh, yeah. here's a re- Repeater off of Repeater. This has like the biggest hooks outside of Waiting. It's great. And it has like six things that happen in this. Yeah. It's like s- spirally bends here. The baseline again. The album cover is so sick, dude. Oh. Yeah, it's great. It's it's so groovy though. Oh, it's, a, yeah. it's kind of a corn sounding guitar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, very proto new metal. <laughs> it's new reggae. That's true, hey. It's I mean yeah, like as a person that was listening to Limp Biscuit this morning, you know. <laughs> I feel like Fugazi and Refuse are kind of the shape of new metal. Pretty much. Yeah, it comes to bands. Although I wish there was more of this <laughs> in, in new metal. Like if you if you could just give me like Limp Biscuit, everything about Limp Biscuit, and then the repeater chorus <laughs> guitar part, I think I'd be happy. <laughs> well, yeah, but they, new metal takes that out and replaces it with uh, turntables. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, instead of like a great an, noodle, still an upgrade, yeah. I think maybe. <laughs> trying to see if Fred Durst has ever talked about Fugazi because he loves to flex about knowing cool things. <laughs> uh, they also said like the big change after the first two albums is they started moving away from just writing songs that Ian wrote to like actually jamming and built, building mm. things together and I think that that is this kind of thing is more the result of that. Yeah. Yeah, and you hear, like, I think especially, like, some of the later records, like, really, like, the standouts were things that were obviously contributed by other people. Yeah. Oh, fuck, it's good. Yeah. yeah. This is the one that I, that I really heard first that, like, vibed me with this, this band. And also felt weirdly in communication with a lot of stuff that I was... Let's see. I mean, because it wasn't that much older that I was listening to in the aughts. Like, I don't know, even stuff like, oh god, oh uh, like, I'm trying to think what the thing is this reminds me of. This part is fucking like, sick. 
is sick. Big breakdown. Yeah. Because, like, I didn't listen to music with breakdowns. So, like, this was as close to a breakdown that I, <laughs> yeah. I got. And I was like, oh, spicy. <laughs> like, it was, it was a lot for me. Kings of the Octopus, too. Just kings of just, like, hammering on it. Yeah. Yeah. This part of like could also be a jet riff though too. Right, it's, <laughs> it's like yeah. rocking like, too hard. <laughs> All right, and now we're moving on to uh, merchandise. Oh, the sinister thing! These guys yeah, yeah. fucking hate merchandise. Can't sell merch. I wonder where. Actually, I already know where Travis Parker got his Fugazi bootleg from Instagram. Got it from an Instagram, from Instagram. bootlegger, yeah. From like a drop, oh yeah, like a dropship company. <laughs> yeah, from Redbubble. Travis Barker knows all about merch. He does, honestly, he does. He's like, got that famous stars and straps. Travis thing Barker going has on. been in the Kardashians world for a long time, and he was wearing like a. He was on Keeping Up with the Kardashians for their Christmas episode. I might have talked about this with you already one time. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the Keeping Up with the Kardashians Christmas episode like five years ago. Wearing a dead sock black flag shirt that's probably worth like a grand because it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Uh, I I admire the like the level of like airheaded irony to head to like be pursuing thousand dollar black flag shirts. I know it's great. Yeah, uh, when you're rich, you just gotta find somewhere to put that money. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like the watches in the QAnon thing. <laughs> uh, money across I might I might need to get an ironic Fugazi uh, bootleg. Oh yeah, you gotta let people know you're down. Uh, maybe I'll get one that is like the the uh, the key image in the um, in the basketball hoop, but then it just says like Fusielli under it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was like the famous. This is not a Fugazi t-shirt, bootleg shirt. That was kind of like the first one. But I feel like there's room for, you know, you said they're a jam band, which you're correct about it. This could be, now that the Grateful Dead merch has been beaten to death, people should just start making Fugazi merch. That's interesting. Ooh. we got to get to our man Jonah Hill, put a Fugazi shirt on him. So, so now this song kind of sounds more like the pop punk, something that could be it, like sure. by like a pop punk band. I mean, which is to say that they are all over the place, and it's usually pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's funny, because I've always thought, like, Public Witness, to me, was, like, the closest Fugazi song to a pop-punk song. But you're kind of right. Like, this could be... This could be a fest band. <laughs> yeah. These guys both sound like the backup singer is so funny. You know, yeah, that's so good. good. That's really good. That's a good I fresh think that's also Fugazi why it works. Yeah. yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, so that was merchandise and repeater off of repeater. Uh, you are not what you own. That's no, more of that like catchy sloganeering. Man, uh, I would merch. I would argue the opposite. I think you're you're you only exactly. what you own. Yeah. What do you think? And that's the unfortunate. What do you I am is, my fucking you, khakis. 
Well, what do you think <laughs> is worse for the environment? I actually don't know, but do you think it's vinyl that's been shrink-wrapped, or is it a T-shirt that's been screen-printed? Mm, Someone's got to make that calculus. Yeah, it depends what it's screen-printed on. Well, I assume cotton. Is that biodegradable? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> This shirt is compostable. In uh, ten washes, it just dissolves into nothing. And then you plant. Yeah, you can plant it. Honestly, that that's kind of a vibe. I'm into it. It's, it's ephemeral. I remember like it's, uh, when it's propaganda for a long time. Like wouldn't tour. They wouldn't do fly-ins, and they but they also couldn't tour because they all like I said jobs. So it was just like mm-hmm. they just couldn't play anywhere that wasn't Winnipeg. And so like I because I, they would the calculus was we just can't get in a plane to do our band because then we'd be you know contributing to the. Degradation sure. of the world. Fugazi tootling around and like, there's no way, like, all those fucking jam and econo ass econo lines, those were not. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Yeah, those. Oh, God. <laughs> like, the DC hardcore scene definitely put the hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> Get in the van? <laughs> not if you care about the future, Henry Rollins. <laughs> Oh man! Not only they gotta you know do that thing where they they rig it to run on vegetable oil and, yeah. and then oh yeah, bands really were then. doing that. Yeah, for the a me minute. without you guy was all was all obsessed with that. Yeah, that was a that was a vegetable oil, oil yeah. van guy, and he would like I think he was like freaking, so he was also like dumpstering the vegetable oil. To well, that's the that's van. the deal is that you get the vegetable oil van and then you just go to like McDonald's, uh, like McDonald's and shit, and be like, hey, give me your old oil. And if they're cool, yeah. they'll let you have it. They'll just let you take the oil. <laughs> I mean, honestly, staying home just sounds so much so much better. Just like staying home and going on Twitter. It's like yeah. way better life. <laughs> so they're begging a team for their used oil. <laughs> like fucking 2 a.m. That's an honorable Rest up outside of life. Kitchener, Ontario. Yeah. Well, well, how else are you going to become an ethical lodestar? It's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. In a corrupt, in an increasing, a bastion of integrity in, a, in an increasingly compromised and corrupt world. <laughs> um, yeah, so that I mean, the, they kind of hit. They're the rare band in this book that hits. Uh, you know, the year that punk broke without selling out uh, and without breaking up. Um, they 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 stay together and they stay off the the majors. They put out um, Steady Died of Nothing in 91, and that emerged as a big seller and uh, realistically the first Fugazi record that most people heard. Um, so they kind of just like, I don't know, not, not good timing necessarily, because they were definitely you know sleeping in weird German squats for like a decade to make that happen. Yeah. But they're the kind of the rare band at the end of their chapter that's like chilling. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I mean that's the uh, the secret punchline to Fugazi, and this is no, this is no, like no shade, no judgment. Is that they all became like millionaires off of Fugazi, <laughs> running the band exactly like this uh, for the, it, this its entire run of of albums, and uh, now uh, Guy lives in a nice brownstone about a mile away from where we're recording right now. Really. Yeah. Good for him. I didn't realize he was in he was a neighborhood guy. Yeah, we'll yeah he, to... he lives here. He, uh, I mean, we don't live in Park Slope. Uh, but you know, we he, he lives up the slope a little bit in Park Slope. I'll uh, keep an eye out in the basketball. All the <laughs> yeah, basketball you see this guy writhing around. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime Trying you see a hoop the that's been damaged, you're like, know that he was there. You're like, God, oh, he was here. Hoodlums in the neighborhood. I like that you said yeah. punk did, you, it was, did you say it was he, he was a pumpkin farmer too? Yeah. He sold pump. He sold Halloween Maybe pumpkins. Maybe that's why he's so like obsessed with like basketballs Texas? too. It's like reminds me of <laughs> yeah. pumpkin. It's just orange globes. He just can't get it's enough. Just drawn. Of. 
Wow, shit. This is good. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's such a knock against the band and stuff. And people are like, you know, I think I even said it earlier, I mean, because they're rich kids, but also people just say like, yeah, of course they could be Fugazi because they sold all those records. So like they could sell them for what they wanted. They could do those things. And like, yeah, sure, they were able to do that, but they also did it. Like they, mm-hmm. it's, they were ethical lodestars, you know? And it's, yeah. and, and uh, you know, unless you are obsessed with the idea of faulting people for like having success, it's really hard to be mad at him for having a brownstone, you know, no, no, slope, it's, it's right. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's great. They, they, they are the ones who, I mean, they're the ones though. That's what sucks. Right. Yeah. yeah, 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 that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like sick to see them make it and it's exciting and you're, you're, Everyone, I think, probably who liked Fugazi feels almost proud of them to know what happened. Yeah. But it's oh, mo- yeah. the more difficult thing is just the generations of people who were inspired by them and believed, bought into this idea of like, yeah, I can do it too. I'll just make sure everything's cheap all the time and then I'll be, <laughs> it'll be great. And then that's just not possible usually. I, I made that joke, yeah. this joke earlier, but I will say it's like the thing that I've always respected about like Jeff Rosenstock as a musician. Cause like even in his cello years now, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, there's a, there's an ethos that I've watched him carry through during times that it was like, would have been very easy not to and pissing through mail slots on tours in Europe kind of thing. And you're like held it out. And now like that's, it's, it's kind of working. And, and maybe, maybe it's just that the rest of us give up too fucking quickly. Like I, cause I just don't want to, I, I was never going to mm-hmm. go through 10 years of, squats and male slot bathrooms like uh, yeah. you know well look there's a sweet spot between uh like ethical uh, uh not ethical lodestar what's the other the other phrase molly a hamily sensual bastion of integrity <laughs> yeah. bastion of integrity there's a there's a middle ground between bastion of integrity and uh you know strategic uh, uh flexibility you know yeah, true. as long as you have a, a shell of integrity and a filter of integrity where you where you know where your limits are, you, you can make decisions around it that are still, uh, you know, integral. Well, the other funny but, thing uh, is that it does all boil down back to five dollars because what are podcasters if not people begging for five dollars a month on Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is. Uh, oh I think God. I like I like to th- imagine uh, <sighs> that 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 continues on the. Uh, the, the, the discord tradition of keeping prices low. It's true, but I will also say to this conversation, I am desperate to sell out and I keep trying and I'm just <laughs> waiting to be wined and dined by a major label. Just anything. I'm ready. Put me in there. Yeah. I want to sell out. Get a Life is short. Sell it to Spotify. I'm done. Let's do it. A zillion zillion dollars. I've had my yeah. time pretending to not want to sell out and I'm ready. So let's, no, let's, let's figure let's, that out. Let's get that in the air. We're, I, just, I just saw on, on TikTok the kids are like, Saying they're saying these like number these sequences of numbers to like uh do do magic basically to set vibes for like getting money. Oh yeah, it's like a cheat whatever. code. A cheat code for 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 uh for your future. So uh, I'll I'll hook you up with the the, the selling out codes. code. Yeah, we'll, please. We'll get you that Spotify so wait, deal. Is, is, I don't know what other is uh are. Joe Rogan the Husker duo of indie podcasting. <laughs> the first one to get called up to the majors for the the multi million dollar contract. I mean, I feel like that's going to make a lot of people mad. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but For I like that it. exact reason. Wait, re- real talk. How was Joe Rogan making money before? What was his Fear model? factor? Wasn't that it? I mean, Fear I guess I, I, I think just like ads. Advertising? Like personally selling ads on his shows. And yeah, the, yeah. Did he read YouTube ads on the show? I don't know. I've never listened to Joe Rogan. Too long. 
Yeah. Too long. Well, uh, some podcasts. Well, well, you're, talking, you're not talking <laughs> to the right people about too long. Uh, <laughs> ours is long also like enough. just as like kind of suspect sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like when you get to hour uh, three of Blink One Fifty Five, there was a lot of like very questionable race science opinions that were expressed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, sort of we, the cultish following that is very problematic yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm also very strong. <laughs> Thoughts about <laughs> thoughts about the market, uh, male male enhancement and supplements. Yeah. Uh, these were all the types of deep takes that you would get. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm sure you many times in those third hours you were getting into the real uh, Delong brained takes. Which, it, like joking I mean, aside, it was less what Sam's joking about and more like true actual Blink One Eighty Two induced ego death. I think <laughs> it's like kind of like transcending to a new plane of existence. Based on a song uh, about fucking a dog. So. Well, <laughs> yeah. speaking of going too long, uh, I feel like we should we should kind of start wrapping this up. We have been being you know very jokey and flippant about Fugazi, but I want to make it absolutely clear that all their songs rock uh, <laughs> and that they are a very cool live band from everything that I've seen from their footage and that they are eminently respectable and I, I like respect them a lot. I respect them. I respect the hell out of them. I like how yeah. Fugazi casts such a long shadow that we have to be like, just, just so everyone, we're joking. Like Fugazi's super good. <laughs> <laughs> They're obviously gods. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, actually, for me, the argument is my favorite one and I think it's incredible to see somebody, it's like we're, we're even everything you're describing, it's momentum. And then they reach yeah, yeah. perfection mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we're not going to do any better than this. Like, I think the argument mm-hmm. is perfect. And so it's, I think that ultimately to me is the integrity that I would aspire to have is like knowing when you've perfected something. And yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, is, yeah. it really is possible that that's their best record. And, you know, right now, Josiah and our show are talking a lot about Green Day. And and that's an example of a band that has made some like incredible iconic albums and has continued against all region logic. Yeah. All <laughs> odds at best and, and, and like reason at worst. And, and to have this career that endured, you know, this, this tumultuous era, you know, in punk and hardcore to have sort of come out of that unscathed, continued not to have said like, you know what, fuck it, this is ruining things, right? So that that era where where Azarad's book ends, continuing past that, continuing to make important records and doing continuing to do things that are innovative. Like I think that's the other thing that's so mm-hmm. remarkable about it is like as we were progressing through the songs you were playing, there was like a real obvious evolution. And as you sort of continue yeah. and you get to Red Medicine and you get to, you know, the the EP like that goes along with instrument and then you get to the argument, there's this very like thoughtful expansion of what the band is capable of in, mm-hmm. in a way that never feels like an aggressive course correction that you sometimes get with like legendary mm. bands where it's like, you thought you knew us. Well, this is a record with all <laughs> collaborations with European DJs and <laughs> on some level, like you respect it and sometimes a few and two of the songs work or something, but it's like on the whole, never the right thing. And then there's the like back to basics album. And like <laughs> you guys were able to just sort of bring in, and I think this is because of the like increased visibility and, and, and the contributions of all of the members where like yeah. they're all getting older and sort of when you then listen to the solo material that gets made after that, like when you listen to like the Joe Lally solo stuff, you're like, oh, I can see why a lot of that was happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it makes them such a like. Uh, like a, a band that is worthy of like still of like deep and thoughtful sort of listening in, in, in a way that I, I think some things aren't. And we joke about this like homework band thing. Like it's, 
it's it's a it's a basically a near perfect discography, and that's fucking crazy. But it's also like do they're you, so do either way, real real quick while we're going on. Do either of you guys have a late period Fugazi track that you would uh you'd like to hear while we wrap? This epic up? problem. Yeah, it's got to be epic problem, which is right? so funny too because it's a perfect song, but now. The title seems like a kind of oh. meme sort of thing. Like, totally. Uh, <laughs> but this is it, right? Yeah, just yeah, I, 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 I feel like I spoke fairly for both of us. Right? This is like the newlyweds game for Sam and I. We nailed <laughs> I like, it. Oh, I know this. this is oh, no we should have made you say it at the same time. Oh, man. Exactly. Like, but that's also, true. I think, that's why Fugazi is so fun to roast, too, is because they're so pure. And so it's like, yes. they've done everything correctly. So I think we should be allowed to roast them a little bit. Yes. Too. They're the definition of like making fun of someone because they're so confident and so good that you can exercise all of your own pettiness and your bitterness and just your own twisted sense of humor on them because you're like they can sustain it because they are bastions of integrity and ethical lodestars. And then secret and they don't care about they don't care about us. And then secretly Ian McKay's in an incognito tab, like crying himself to sleep every night, seeing all these jokes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just bumming. Oh, this song is so sick. You get there's the 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 double drumming breakdown. Yeah. It's like one of the most incredible pieces of recorded music ever committed to tape. Cuz cuz they had a second drummer live, but he never played on any records until this one, I think. Yeah. Right? Is that Yeah, I, yeah, that? I think that's the story. Oh, there's just so much good stuff in here. So good. I mean, there's also like really Beatlesy stuff on this album. Yeah. Even just like the uh, the cash out, the opening track with like, the cello. Once yes. I, one time back in the day, I was trying to interview Ian for a piece um, for a magazine called The Slam that just I works for. And he and I were like, I lived at home with my parents. And so I had like called him and like left a message. And then he wasn't around <laughs> and he called one time when I was at work. I got into a cell phone and my sister answered. And there's just this guy, my sister is two years younger than me and obsessed with Fugazi because I was like obsessed with Fugazi. And he's like, hi, is Sam, Sam Sutherland there, please? And she's like, uh, no, sorry, can I tell him who called? And he's like, oh, it's Ian Mackay. And my sister's like, what the <laughs> fuck? And he's, do you know what he'll be back around to what the deadline for his article is? And she's like, no, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm so useless. And he goes, eh, you're not useless. And she was just like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> make him sound like a Sesame Street character. Yeah, in my mind, he's just like, oh, wait, he did have that thing called like Pancake Mountain or whatever, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Like, kids show. <laughs> he is a Sesame Street character. I didn't know he had a kids show. Yeah. Oh my god! Is this is this mixed in stereo? Is this is this podcast going to be in stereo? I'm like uh, the first uh, eight, actually, this one might be eight weeks of our podcast that is <laughs> also involves playing music. <laughs> but yeah, so so my sister being told she wasn't useless by Ian McKay was like a real I think high point of her you know difficult high school yeah. era. My friend Ryan interviewed Ian McKay for his zine when we were teenagers, and Ian actually left a voicemail on, like, the family answering machine. Oh, Oh, hey, I'm returning Ryan. This is a problem. The big problem's not a problem for me. (laughs) Oh, and then you think it's going to come in big? Yeah. That? Oh. Uh, this... See, this is a little before, but then, like, it's, it's funny how they don't sound like an old band because this almost sounds like a block party riff that would, oh, like, come true. out, like, two years yeah. later, totally. you know? I, I mean, which I think talks, or, like, you know, speaks to both the thing that you're saying that they constantly de- uh, developed, that they never, that, like, rock music never really got away from them or anything, you know? Yeah. 
I think when you're just like so committed to doing your own thing, you can just kind of like evolve with yourself outside of outside of trends, man. Great. Uh, well, yeah. with that epic problem, uh, let us move confidently into the end part of this episode. Unless you have anything else, Molly? I got nothing. Great. Well, that is Fugazi, Chapter 11. We are rounding out the end of this series. Only two mm-hmm. episodes left. Thank you all who have listened along with us. Uh, but, Josiah and Sam, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Of course. Been great. Thank you. Thank you for letting us do Fugazi. You know, yeah. You could have stuck Fugaz. us with meat puppets or something. You know, it would have been awful. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, ne- next time you guys come back, you know, last time we talked, we were talking uh, American Idiot, the Green Day musical, Green which Day. was great. And now, uh, which is one shade of punk, certainly. And now we're talking Fugats, uh, completely different shade of punk or maybe the dark inverse. So uh, next time we have you guys on, uh, we'll have to find even a third way that we right, can take Right, sort this. of a middle ground of just yeah, mediocrity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit sellout and a little bit authentic. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. But. Or find something on Moist. Find some text on Moist. <laughs> oh my God! If you if you we should up oh we should Moist. just read Mark's book. <laughs> Our friend Martina wrote a book that has a chapter about Moist in it. So great. Okay, great. We'll bring that <laughs> up. We'll talk Moist next time. I will steadfastly refuse to listen to a Moist song until then. But just it'll never be as good as what you imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, is there anything you would like to plug? I mean, we can't figure out how to explain our show ever. <laughs> it takes like 15 minutes to explain it. But basically, we don't just talk about Blink-182 songs anymore. Well, we don't at We're all. We're all grown up. We're all grown up. We talk about a different song every week that fits into our arbitrary designation of punk, which could basically be anything. Um, right. And the other thing is we tell our listeners what song we're doing because they used to plant covers of Blink-182 songs on the internet hoping we'd find them. So now we've kind of let them in on it. So every week, whatever song we do, they have three days to cover it. And then literally, like, there's 40 covers every week and they're all good and it's kind of fucked. Oh, that is so, so amazing. So then every Monday, we also put out the covers on Bandcamp. So it's kind of like a whole, like, every day of the week, there's a different step of the process going on. <laughs> That's so crazy. You have inadvertently created a, a type of a DIY record label. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's also like, I know because I'm a hater and I know how bad that sounds to hear 40 amateur covers that are recorded in, th- in three days, but they're fucking good. I, no, that sounds great. Yes. I've listened to many of these covers. They're all very good. And the kind of creativity for a cover that, comes from having three days to come up with something yeah exactly. maybe maybe it's like because we're in the pandemic but it is truly the highlight of my week like we get to we get to we talk about these songs and then we just spend an hour listening to just these like i, I think the timeline has a lot to do with it like you just kind of got to pick an idea and run with it so you're like okay i'm gonna cover comeback kid as like a slinky 90s r&b song i'm gonna put all of my hammy sexuality into it and if like halfway through you're like this is nuts you can't stop and so you just end up with these like fascinating you know, just different perspectives on, on, on songs that, especially if you're me and Josiah, it's great. Cause they're songs that you picked and you love. So if it's like there's songs we picked and then there's people doing things because one of us offhandedly said, Oh, I wish I could hear this as like a cosmic, uh, experimental composition. And then someone does that. <laughs> and then I don't even remember saying that out loud. And it's like my subconscious, like it's very surreal, uh, and very sick. So yeah, I mean, basically it's a pa- it's, it is kind of a Patreon forward thing. So <laughs> five Patreon. bucks, five bucks though, because we're, we're, we're still punk. punk. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> 155 pod, we will link to it. Uh, yes. Molly, do you have any plugs? Uh, nothing in particular for, for this week, I would say. If you're listening to this, you know what my plug is. It's the Frequency One Festival, FRQNCY.live, five podcast acts, five bands, streaming festival, uh, $20 now that the presale is over. I think that's a little pretty steep. great deal. It's a little <laughs> steep. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's maybe not punk. Maybe not punk. Oh, maybe I should rethink this. But uh, no, we've got. We've you should got, you should just do a Fugazi hour where you say like between the, you know one and two in the morning. If it's you're, a drum if circle. You're hip to it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's going to do a streaming drum circle, and it's yeah, it's five dollars. Uh, oh, but you know, we've got uh, every time I die, Pom Pom Squad, Zola Jesus. Uh, we've got Downtown Boys. We've got Stay Inside, Chapo Trap House. We hate movies. Tinder Live with Lane Moore, Throwing Fits, and of course, Episode One. All in the same stream festival. $20 gets you access the entire day, June 5th. Show up, be there, or be square. Frequency and no one will kick live. you in the head because it's virtual. Yes, it's virtual. It's distance. <laughs> There's F-R-Q, still no NCY. slam dancing. Is there slam dancing? Uh, no, you know what? Slam, slam dancing is allowed in the, in the comfort of your me, home. Me and Will will slam, will slam dance one another uh, <laughs> watching every time I die. <laughs> and then you can watch that. <laughs> uh, so that's my pitch. Please buy. It. Please consider attending. Uh, it's going to be very cool. Uh, that's it. Uh, this has been and introducing next week. Mud honey. Mud honey. Sub pop. Grunge. A little guy named Kirk Cobain makes a, little, a cameo. A little guy. A little oh, guy. He is described in the, in the uh, chapter as a little guy. He's a little <laughs> shrimpy boy. We love him. Um, but also Mark Arm. Uh, great pun name. <laughs> Uh, but send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at andintropod. Uh, rate or review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Why not? Just do it. Five, five bucks, five stars. That's, a, the, that's the, uh, the, the that's podcaster's in- $5. <laughs> that's in te- in, an integrity full thing to do. Yes, an integrity full thing to do. Follow us, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and. Dash, sorry, I just uh, went to, I just asked for projected. Dash. <laughs> Intro. Dash. Bot. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week on And Introducing. I always forget <laughs> how it goes. All right, that's it. There we go.